this last one will be with Clint and Danny, Lady, and the Wizard. No reason. Because <laughs> he looks like a lizard. Who? Steve, he's so ugly. <laughs> we are rolling. We're super lucky to have um, Liz Blatchford with us. Obviously, a bit of a Kona superstar. Three po- three third places there. Um, on top of, of course, your many <laughs> 70... Many 70.3 wins, Ironman wins. Was it two? Sorry, two. <laughs> I'm leaving that in. <laughs> I actually even have two written down right in front of me. <laughs> I still said three. <laughs> the dyslexia hit two times third yeah. place. Yeah, um, and amazing coach as well. I've had been lucky to have Liz work under RPG and uh, all of her athletes obviously rave about how much she cares, which is nice when you've also got 25 years of experience in the sport um, to guide athletes. So welcome, Liz. And Clint's here too. <laughs> Clint's here in, uh, in in person, but he's um, had his ass handed to him this morning out on the Queen K by Kate. So um, hopefully I make some sense. You look very rosy. You've copped some Mate, sun. <laughs> uh, it was an absolute punishment. I came straight home and looked at her power file because I thought she was going way too hard but turns out she wasn't i'm just unfit so anyway <laughs> so it's good to be out given we are a couple of days away from kona race day we're not going to talk too much about you today liz because i want to do a full episode on exploring your career and your journey um this one is just purely a bit of a race preview and to look back at i guess the history of some of the great performances in kona um on the female side and Starting off, I think you would probably be able to do this even better than me because I, I was a pretty late start of the sport. But if we had to list the three greatest female athletes in Kona, could you think – have you got a top three? Um, well, actually, when you posed this to me yesterday, I did a little bit of homework. And granted, I have been in the sport a long time. Like a lot of my time in the sport was head buried in the sand, ITU, racing and I was very unaware of Ironman for a lot of those years so a lot of the history like I wasn't that aware of obviously became more aware of it as I got into Ironman racing myself um and was definitely aware of people like Paula and um, Natasha but yeah last night actually I spent a few minutes still like diving into the history and getting to know it a little more and you can't go past Paula newbie Fraser with her eight times um and even just not just the fact that she won eight times, but the way she did it. She was the first woman to go sub-10. And then I think it was within three years she went sub-9. Maybe I'm getting that slightly wrong. Three, four years she went sub-9. So, like, this one-hour improvement um, and going sub-9 back in the early 90s, I'm pretty sure it was. I'm, yeah, not the most factually correct person. But, yeah, so Paula's performances back then were you know, so ahead of everyone else at the time. She had huge winning gaps and then, you know, to carry on winning eight times. Um, so, yeah, you can't go past Paula. And then even just um, the impact she's had on the sport since, you know, not just her racing, but, you know, still heavily involved in Ironman. Um, and she's done kind of every role within Ironman, it, it seems. <laughs> um, she's caring, she's passionate, she's always lovely to any interaction I've always had with Paula has been been awesome. So, 
and yeah, I assume you've had interactions with her yourself, Rudy. Yeah, I, I've. It's, it's funny you say that. There's so much humility about Paula that people who didn't know who she was, like even athletes dealing with it, you wouldn't, you'd have no idea that she's one of the. Well, she's probably the greatest of all time in, when it comes to Kona racing, and it it sort of shows for me a little bit just how chauvinistic the world is in in a way to have eight wins and yet all you hear about is mark allen uh mark mark allen's six and um like there's i think it's and dave scott's six also so there's i think it sort of gets overshadowed when you consider that there's someone out there who's got racked up eight wins is just mind-blowing um and like you said yeah super nice person to deal with certainly not an ego about her so i'm sure that probably yes. helped Helped her she certainly such a- lowered the bar. Like at that same time when, as you say, Reddy, like Mark and Dave get spoken about so much and they they were bringing the mail times down very rapidly. But I think at that same point, Paula was doing even bigger, like dropping the times even more in the female side of things. And it is a bit disappointing that she doesn't get the kind of credit for, for how fast she, like, develop the sport or, or how quickly they got quick and and if you consider that with the technology today on the bike with aerodynamics tires all the equipment side of it she's probably going 15 minutes quicker you know if not probably 10 to 15 minutes quicker at least and you look at those times um it's you know she's still if she turned up tomorrow at you know the same age at her peak she's going to be still much a, very much a threat to any of the modern ladies uh, racing today. So good pick, Liz. Totally agree. Yeah. Number two on um, your list. Oh, number two. So you've, um, you've thrown me out here because I wrote down five. <laughs> <laughs> and now, you, now you're making me like um, pigeonhole into three. But um, I'm going to go with Rini. Um, and, yeah, I'm skipping over some absolute legends in Natasha and Christy uh, in that period. But, yeah, some of the stuff that Rini did and especially like her run her run splits in Kona, you know, sub, um, sorry, low 250s right down to 250, that run course record that still stands. Um, yeah, and obviously Rini set that record, like the Kona record in 2013 and then it was the run course record the, the year after. Um, so, yeah, um, Rini and Kona and her three titles, she would be definitely one of my top three Kona female performers of all time. I think one of the standouts with her at that point too was how close to the male runtime she was getting <laughs> like she was just yeah telling up a lot of the men and that was like that was really good to see back then pretty sure every time i raced her she beat my runtime so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's that's nothing to be ashamed of mate because she was doing yeah. it she was doing it to a lot of the men in the field and that's um yeah it was, it was really impressive yeah, yeah absolutely and um that was my era of racing too against Rinnie and it was always this like just felt like a bloody rabbit out the front and knowing that Rinnie's going to reel you in at some point on that run <laughs> and she did every time I raced her she she ran past me and yeah like for her running four minute k's I think when you're a fit pro like yeah four minute k's a four minute k's but when you're five years retired like I am now and I try and run a few four minute k's I'm like holy heck like Rinnie runs that off the bike in Kona in those conditions for 42k and pre-carbon yeah. shoes too so that's you know yeah. it's incredible yeah. yep running running those k-swiss shoes that were about like four <laughs> mil thick in the front end and still just getting it done perfectly yeah yeah good yeah. pick number three uh, 
Oh, well, number three, I, that wasn't like in order of who's the best or whatever, okay. but um, <laughs> yeah, Danny. <laughs> Can't go past Danny. They're four Kona titles and 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 a St. George, obviously. So, yeah, four, five Ironman world titles. Um, and even talking about lowering the bar and times, yeah, the, the jumps that Danny's made in those those records, um, both in Kona and Ironmans in general, uh, yeah, potentially very Paula-esque in that I feel like they'll stand for a long time. Um, yeah, and just such huge jumps. Um, pretty damn incredible. <laughs> and And... Funny you say Paula S because I also feel like she's got that same humility. She's sort of no-nonsense, doesn't really believe in the hype. Every interaction I've had with her, she's just super down-to-earth and just easy going. I don't know about easy going. I don't know her that well, but very easy to talk to and, uh, yeah, super humble. So I, I don't know if you found the same thing, but I certainly always felt very comfortable in her presence. Yeah, 100%. Um, I spent a fair bit of time with Danny. We trained and raced together like for years. Um, and yeah, you're right. And she's got that really, she's, she knows it works for her, that simple approach. Like a few other people are still taking in terms of block out a lot of outside nonsense, do what I do. And um, yeah, just not have too many influences. Um, and she knows it works for her and obviously it works really damn well. Um, there's you know, more and more influences these days with different spot science and technology and it can be overwhelming. Um, but Danny definitely knows how to keep it simple and just do what suits her best. And um, But, yeah, like you say, always with humility too, which I love. She's in, this, <laughs> she's in the same boat as Rini with, like, the, the run splits. When she was – when she set the bike course record, I don't – I think you outrode her that day, Rini. <laughs> she, she was yeah she was the same thing just so close to the the men compared to and so far ahead of the other ladies on the day that it was just like it was super impressive That's yeah amazing. i remember remember a stat from that day and i'm not going to remember it correctly but it was insane it was like from harvey back to town she had like the third fastest bike split overall yeah so yeah it was think, it was exactly that, right? that yeah yes yeah. i think it was maybe Ka Kauai high to town okay. she was the third right. fastest overall which was insane yeah also just a testament to how like i think the way that brett trains people for ironman it's that was actually a really common theme with a lot of his athletes is that last 90 minutes on the bike everyone else is crumbling and they're just that's the time they just really put time into other people so it is interesting that was a pretty common theme um with chrissy with other athletes as well yeah, for sure. You feel like she's just toying with the field for the first 90K and she's, yeah, she's just doing her warm-up and then she's going <laughs> to rip everyone's legs off on the way yeah, home. Yeah, exactly. If we were to talk about um, the greatest performance in your mind uh, of Kona in the female race, do, is, there any, is there any one race performance that really stands out? Uh, it might not even be a victory, but something that you just look at and go, that was badass. <laughs> Oh, um, again, I had a few down because I thought we were going to. You can do a few. Fire. Sorry, sorry. I, I, would, I didn't want to. I know you're busy. I was like, let's just. <laughs> no, no you can I, definitely give me a few because um, all right. I love um, these inspiring stories. <laughs> yeah, cool. So, yeah, like we mentioned Paula's 855 in 1992. So, like, so ahead of her time. You talked about it being, you know, potentially if she, in that same form, turned up today with the equipment that there is today that maybe she's 15 minutes faster. But like I beg to say, like beg to differ in that 
with sports science, um, like training methodology, what whatnot, like she, she's going to be 20 to 30 minutes quicker. Um, yep. So, yeah, that's putting her down at, you know, 8.30. And um, so, yeah, and that's 90.92. So that's Paula's performance has definitely got to be up there and mentioned. Um, and then, like, I've left Chrissy out of my – my top um, my top three earlier because you, you made me. I can't believe it. <laughs> but, but Chrissy's performance is like a, a bloody freaky. So 2000 and, I'm checking my note, 2007, Chrissy, um, she turned pro as a, as a triathlete. And that's the same year she won Kona and she did it in like low nine hours. So from being an age group athlete at the beginning of 2007 to winning Kona, um, that is pretty damn impressive like that that um that year i did a ironman career as one of my first ironmans as an age group age grouper and i thought i was having the race of my life i rode from the age group field up to the back of the pros and thought i am the man and then this lady came past me (laughs) like i was going (laughs) backwards i think she beat me by an hour at the end of the race and that was like she'd only just gone pro so we'd probably been doing the sport the same duration as time but already it was evident how much better she was going to be than me i was actually here in hawaii that year that she won her first title and two things that really stood out was or three actually the commentators had no idea about her because she was so so far off their radar Two, all i remember like my vision of that day was her every time i saw her on the run was smiling like an absolute maniac <laughs> Like it was like, it was really like she enjoyed it and she didn't even ha- have a hat on. She was just out there, no sunnies, no hat, just smiling her way through the pain. And then three, her victory speech at the dinner afterwards, like very little of it was about triathlon because she hadn't been in the sport so long. She just talked about her journey to triathlon and it was really good to hear, but it was probably so left of center of what they've had in the past because, you know, some people work forever, but she just got there so quickly that she, I think she even said at the time that she might not stay in the sport that long, which I mean, wouldn't have been that keen on at the time. But yeah, it was just amazing how easily she seemed to do it. Yeah, for sure. And said with all love and respect, like Chrissy was a complete mess. You know, like her bike, her equipment, oh. her outfit. Um, like you say, no hat or sunnies in the bloody yep. corner heat. I think so, she'd like, ironed. She'd ironed on her sponsor logo on her kit the night before and it was half peeling off (laughs) it was it it was yeah way yeah she was very unorganized from from the outside looking in but yeah it was it was amazing to watch specifically the run speaking about who would have gone faster with all the modern tech i mean even with the Mm. best tech of that day she would have gone 10 minutes quicker so she's yeah so it's crazy how fast she could be going now if in that same sort of fitness yeah yeah all right, should we move on to our next one? <laughs> yes. um, so oh, I think, like, Danny's got to take a couple of those spots. Um, so 2018. Uh, oh, let's go, no, think, 2016. Yeah. The record in 2016 was, like, that freaking crazy day where she she set the record by 24 minutes or something, or 20 minutes. Set a record by 20 minutes. No, hang on, I'm getting confused. <laughs> she went 8.46. I've got notes. She went 8.46 and she won by 24 minutes. So, yeah, just is that probably the year that she did the third fastest, like, male and female bike split? But, 
Um, so yeah, Danny's 2016 performance where she beat all the women by 24 minutes. That's and mental. Then, yeah. I remember the, yeah. the coverage that year, like the, I, I don't remember what the, the male race was, but it was a bit closer, but the, the female race was like, <laughs> they just, they, like it was just so boring because it was like a foregone conclusion very early in the day. And they tried to, make it sound like you know it, it was her lead was at happen. risk in the run but yeah but then she just she got on the run and anything didn't happen right she anything could happen she might decide to have a 30 minute nap and lose yeah. the race and she just yeah. like that low that low cadence like that low leg lift just got it done and it just looked so easy all day and they just had nothing to work with on the coverage yeah. She was running in like um, ASICS Nimbus, which is like the heavy duty trainer, I think, yeah. at that point. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like she was probably like the bike gap was so far that like the maybe the media cameras couldn't get between the women. And so they're like, all right, we're just going to stick with the winner here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, that was a really good day. And then there was another yeah. one of her days where didn't she get stung by a jellyfish and she was like spent 10 minutes or something in transition trying to get sorted and then still got the win? Yeah. Was that? 2018? Yeah, I think yeah, it was reckon, 2018. And yeah, that's when six. she went freaking 826. And that's that record yeah. I'm, I reckon will be around. Yeah. Long. Just mm. um, crazy, crazy, crazy domination. Yeah. We'll talk about yeah. her chances for the win this year shortly. But do you have another mm. another um, amazing performance, Liz? Yeah, I've got Chelsea from last year. So Chelsea went 833. Um, and like a bit of context to it, like, you know, it was a bloody amazing performance in itself. But, like, Chelsea had a one-year-old. And, like, from, yeah, you know, my own perspective, knowing what it's like getting back to racing as a mum. And even Chelsea's been open about it. It hasn't been the simplest journey for her. And to come and have that performance. And, you know, I'm saying, oh, Daniela's record at 8.26 is, is going to be there for a while. But then Chelsea's gone seven minutes, just seven minutes slower on a potentially day that wasn't as fast either. So, um, yeah, I think that result last year by Chelsea is, yeah, it's up there. Like, it, it is the second fastest time ever in Kona for women. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you add that context to it and, it, yeah, it's pretty damn incredible. Yeah, yeah 100% agree. agree. That was a great, a great day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> I mean, you got anything to add to that? Any performances? No, I, I, I only remember that one from last year. I remember them coming past and, we were standing maybe a kilometre or two into the run and, like, they always try and try and talk about history, right, with the races and, uh, like, I think they got off the bike together and Anne Haug was there and everyone's like, oh, it's her race to, to lose. They come running past and a lot of the people watching were like, Anne didn't look that good and even some of the people there were like, who's that chick in the BMC kit? Because she just looks so smooth running. And it was like, oh, it's Chelsea. And then they came back along the Leahy Drive later and it was like, wow, she looked so good and so in control. And early on, I think that was one of the days where the ladies actually raced a little bit. There's a bit of tactics on the bike and they were together as a group. And I think some of them stretched the friendship with their effort to stay with the group. And mm -hmm. she just looked so dominant by early in the race. So, yeah, it was a really good performance. Yeah, for sure. And even going back to that, like I... <laughs> I was in Kona, but I ended up heading to my room to watch the final part of the run. And, you know, just getting that, that camera view of them running is probably better than a lot of what you can follow on, on a bike, a push bike or whatever around course. And Chelsea was walking most of those aid stations in the last 10 miles. And 
she'd just be running like six minute miles in between and then she'd stop and she'd walk and it, she'd lose like 30 seconds these age stations but then she'd go back to like six minute miles and it was just like wow this woman has such an incredible run pedigree obviously not super experienced at Ironman but she's making it happen and like I think that's one thing about Chelsea is that she's definitely I don't think she's reached her full potential that I'm in. I think there's more to come from Chelsea and, um, yeah, she's definitely interesting. It'll be interesting this year. That probably brings us to the next topic. Oh, lady. great leading, Clint. <laughs> um, let's start with, you mentioned Daniela Reef. How old's Daniela now? Would she be getting closer to 40? Oh, no, I don't reckon. No, I'd, I'd say mid thirties, but I think okay. she's just been around. Like she's obviously been at the Ironman game for a fair while now. So the big but, question yeah. is, can can she win again, Liz? What are your thoughts? Hundred percent, Danny can win again. Um, yeah, like I think you're kidding yourself if you count Danny out. Um, like she won in Roth, so she beat everyone on form. You know, like Annie was on form, Laura was on form. You know, every, no one had bad days apart from like Chelsea obviously didn't finish there, but those women that I just mentioned, Anne and Laura and whatnot, they had good days and she beat them by nearly 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, so, that was an absolute domination. If you take that yeah. form into this race, it's like it, it should be, yeah. Um, yeah, it should be a domination, but yeah, Brady, yeah. who's going to win? Who's going to win, Brady? Oh, pick? Well, first of all, let's just, just, I think just talk through a few of the favourites because everyone's talking about Taylor Nib as well. I am in amazement of Taylor at the 70.3 distance. Um, apart from people like Liz who got third on debut deep, I don't know. It's still a big transition. She, I don't know if she, I don't think she's ever raced an Ironman. She qualified no, through winning 70.3 world champs. I, I just can't see it. It would be amazing if she did. I can't see her winning without that experience over the distance. Um, Liz, what are your thoughts on Taylor? Oh, um, look, I think there's definitely the abilities there and it's it's within, yeah, like the abilities there. But as we know, Kona's just this crazy beast that sends the most amazing athletes <laughs> away with a tail between their legs. So, um, yeah, Taylor could either win or, yeah, be walking the marathon. So she's she's the big unknown. She's definitely got the talent and um, ability to win. Um, but, yeah, that's not everything. Like experience and even just being able to take in the amount of calories and like fluid that she needs to yeah. um, over, over the eight plus hours is something even, that she, her, her gut's never done before, you know? Yeah, so 70.3 worlds, she was obviously very far ahead and just went to the toilet. Don't know what was happening, but it was obviously she was in just like had a little bit of gut issues. And then also it was, I think it was a PTL event last year where she was leading and just reduced to a walk because of gut issues so like in the time that she decided she was doing this race to coming here if they haven't been like just spending all their time trying to get that nailed i'll be the negative one here and say i don't think it'll happen i'll be amazed uh -huh. if we if we see her uh, at the at the the head of the race late in the marathon i'll be amazed and i would also be the first one to say two to three years time i'd say she's it Easy favorite. Yeah. yeah, certainly. Yeah, so. goes and suffers here, learns yeah. from it, um, writes yeah. the wrongs and then comes back. Yeah, look, I think like Taylor, as most of us know, like she was focusing on her, her Paris qualification and she achieved that. And then it's just been whatever it's been, five weeks that she's like, all right, cool, I'm going to have a free 
free swing at Bona. Um, and I like I think whether or not she performs well or manages on the marathon, I think she's going to shape the race. Um, so she's one athlete that could potentially ride with Danny, and you know there's not many of them. So yeah, yeah whether that ends up getting those women further up the road, um, yeah, I do think whatever Taylor's impact is on the race, it's yeah she's going to have a big impact whether it turns out well for her or not. <laughs> yeah. Um, we already chatted about Chelsea. Uh, I think um, Singapore PTO race showed me that she's still very much on track for looking good for Kona. Um, I think people after Roth, you know, no one ever knows what's what's happened, but I can't remember what the reason was, but it was a pretty valid reason as to why she didn't perform there. So um, was it, did she get cold or was there some sort of yeah, issue? She had a, I think she had a virus in the days Okay. Um, leading into it, I yeah, Dan spoke about it somewhere where yeah, it was like probably on our show. She, she did, <laughs> <laughs> it was basically as amazing as she did as well as she did, and I think the yeah, as you say, with the Singapore race specifically, how hot it was there, and she just did what she kind of did here and ran better than anyone. It's yeah. like it, it's pretty um pretty exciting where that could end up. Yeah, uh, and then. Who else would be? Would you consider like a major favorite? We've got some dark horses, I think, but they're probably the the big favorites that everyone's talking about. Um, um can't go past Anne as well. Who's that? Um, Anne Hag. Yoff. How did I forget Anne? Yeah, she's a definite favorite. Yep. Sorry. Yeah. Slap me. Um, and like <laughs> I think Anne turned forty this year potentially, but is like getting faster, which is insane. Um, yeah, like was it Ibiza? She like her run split, she outran Ash by minutes. Um, That's right. You know, Ash has been running the fastest and then Anne comes and outruns Ash by a few minutes. So, And you'd um, even and say I, with her, without her issue, bike issue at PTO Singapore, who knows where she would have finished as well. She was – Yeah. And just the composure she kept while she was having that issue. I was mm. like, oh, you can sort of tell her mindset is made for Iron Man. She doesn't get flustered. It's just stick to the process, you know, mm. so, yeah. machine. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah how many so and, and her training age wouldn't be that old so even if she's 40 i don't remember i, I could be totally wrong but i feel like she would have start. she started in the sport a bit later or has she been around a long time Liz? um she's been around a fair while she did itu for a lot of time um okay. and she she raced itu a lot like ash did so she wasn't a front pack swimmer but would always have to tt the bike and yeah pull all the groups together and she'd get off and be one of the fastest runners so she kind of had that um, you know, TT type experience or having to ride hard from an early age. Like, I don't think she, yeah, probably fans will know better than me. I don't think Anne has been doing tri since a teenager, but she definitely did ITU for a, a long time. Um, okay. So, yeah, she, no, her tri age is, is getting up there. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> um, all right. Should we, we can There's talk about some, we, we yeah, have, yeah, go th through. I, I was going to have, yeah. I, I think they're the main favourites, but have you got any, um, I guess, people that haven't been on the podium but you think should be still considered favourites? Well, Pat Matthews, she's um, not raced Kona yet. So, yeah. For, yeah, obviously, her obvious reason of getting completely taken out by the car last year, just weeks before. Um, but, yeah, so she was second in St. George last year, um, just, Again, her try age isn't huge. She turned pro not long ago, maybe, what is it, three, four years that Kat's been pro. And, yeah, her rise to the top of, like, top tier pro has been pretty incredible to watch. 
Um, she was second to Danny last year in St. George, one of the favourites for Kona and then had her accident and then her recovery this year has been like in- insane. Um, yeah, so Kat, her first Kona, proven, she, she goes well in the heat. She's one of the people that's capable of running low sub, oh, sorry, um, low 250s. So, yeah, yeah. watch out for Kat. <laughs> I'm going to jump in and say she was actually she's actually my pick for the win just because I think I'm a little bit I think I'm a little bit biased because I love the story and the comeback and Mm. um she seems to just have the best attitude towards it she seems to be loving just racing and you know just that personality type that sort of draws you in and wants to support her but also her performances like you know the fastest British Ironman triathlete ever um with with her race in Ironman Texas, you know, to come back, it wasn't even that long after injury and she still got third at Oceanside. And mm. even just the videos of her training around Kona at the moment, I'm looking at it going, she looks happy, she looks healthy and yep. ready to race. So um, she's actually my pick for, for the win, even though ahead of all the favourites, just to mm. go a little bit out on a limb. Well, um, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to chime in and say... I actually was on the same train of thought there, and Reedy said to me, "Nah, that's me. I'm gonna. You got to choose someone else." But I will add, like, she went to seventy point three worlds in the middle of an Ironman block and just looked so bloody good. Like she was looked really strong on the run, like built into it, and and kind of finished it really strong, which is always a good sign when you're going to do double the distance. Um, mm. If if I had to. If I had to pick someone, and it can't be Cat Matthews because someone else is, I think, I think Lucy Charles, she, she's done her time. Uh-huh. Like you look, you look at the results and second, mm-hmm. second, second. It's just like I, I think it, it's time that. Interestingly enough, a lot of the locals have said that it doesn't look like it's going to be overly windy. So I don't know how that affects the dynamic of the race, but um, yeah, I think it'd be c- pretty cool to see her. Swim hard, ride hard, and never get caught. That'd be mm. that'd be like that'd be a good story. So I'll, I'll go with Lucy just because I think it'd, it'd be a great narrative. Good call, Liz. The right. the the real uh, valued opinion here because yeah, my <laughs> hacks. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I can't go past Danny. She's just like she'll either win or bust. <laughs> yeah. So you know what I mean. Like I'll be either that person that's like, oh yeah, my my guess was off, but um. Yeah, just what she did in Roth and obviously what she's done five times. <laughs> um, can't count her out. So, yep, Danny's my pick. Mm-hmm. I think any of those, I think we'd be happy to see any of those. And a- another thing that a lot of people around town are saying is like that they're more interested in this race than they were in the men's race because it seems like it's going to be so much more competitive and-, and close. So I really hope it is just for the the benefit of them splitting the races. Like if there's a really good race and and the female race gets showcased on its own, it'd be great for the sport long-term. That It's funny you say that. My last question for you, Liz, was your thoughts on splitting up the race, um, whether you're a fan or not. Um, I'm a fan of it for the pros. Um, and like you guys just mentioned, this is the strongest field, I feel like, that's ever lined up. And I think there's, there is some relationship to us ha- well, us, I'm not an athlete anymore, but you know, women having their own race, there's potentially a bunch of pros there that are like, you know what, I can afford to go to the Big Island this year. Um, they often choose not to, um, just with less numbers on the island. So, but sorry, aside from that, 
the women having the stage their own day and even it not just being the day after the men it's yeah a complete own event i think it is great for the pro women i think for the sport in general um yeah like i know the feedback i'm hearing and you guys are hearing a lot too but um a lot of the age groupers would love to see the the event still combined um they want to travel together as training partners, you know, families, whatnot, and, yeah, be able to watch both events too. So, yeah, there's some positives, some negatives. It's, it is what it is. Yeah, I'm definitely starting starting to come around the idea. Someone's coming to my door. You're going to have to listen to Reg bark for about five minutes. That probably was a good good opportunity to wrap it up. <laughs> before. But, Liz, thanks so much. Super informative. Yeah, thanks, Liz. Um, you brought some professionalism to this hack of a show so we appreciate it <laughs> um and we will, we will chat to you very soon and, and really go in depth on um your career what you're doing now um and a whole lot more so thanks very much and um we will chat soon thanks stay cool over there please. <laughs> yeah Uh, hey everyone, today we've got the pleasure of having Penny Slater on. We got our research team to go deep and find out as much as possible about Penny. So uh, some of the notes we've got about Penny, she was third at Husky this year, third at Ironman South Africa with a 3.11 run, third at Cairns with a 3.03 run, fourth at Sunny Coast in the middle of this probably very deep in the fatigue phase of this period. Um, she's previously raced Xterra uh, Asia Pack Champs and she loves every January to go to the Maruya races apparently. So I don't know what that's about, Penny, but the, the research team have put that in. So thanks for joining. Let's start with Sunny Coast. Um, I always say people that are doing the right thing for Kona with where Suntron Coast is placed, you should be racing pretty tired in that event. Did you feel pretty buggered while you're racing um yeah i mean i guess i just didn't have that extra kick into gear that you need like for a 70.3 like i felt comfortable like i pushed kind of ironman power watts on the bike and then on the run when i got challenged you know i couldn't really put down that extra bit that i needed for the run um so yeah i mean i was pretty i was pretty deep in kona prep then i think i'd still done about like maybe 22 hours before the race uh that week of training so um yeah the plan was always to train through it and um just have a, another good session there sort of thing uh, i was a bit bummed not to get on the podium but i kind of was like tried not to think about that too much because it's like that's it wasn't the necessarily the goal it's always nice to get on the podium but it was just like a stepping stone to kona so you, oh, you got bigger fish to fry. Hawaiian tuna to fry. <laughs> so yeah, mahi mahi. Right, you were up in Cairns doing like a kind of training camp with Beck, and then flew to Sunny Coast and back up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So after Singapore, um, which I DNF'd at because I was a bit, I was a bit crook that race week, as were a lot of people over there. Um, but I flew straight to Cairns after that, um, and just sort of took me like probably three or four days to recover from whatever I had and then had a couple of weeks training before Sunny Coast and then just went down for the weekend and then back up to Cairns. Nice one. Um, 24th over here last year in your first crack. <laughs> yeah. I won't ask you to list everything you learnt, but what did you learn? What were some of the main things you learnt from your race here last year? 
Yeah, great question. Uh, something that something that the listeners will be like, oh, or anyone racing might go, oh, that's really helpful. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, like, for me, the biggest thing I took away is, like, don't let the occasion get to you. Like, it's hard not to get caught up in everything that's going on. And I just made, like, the biggest mistake I made was being done with my nutrition on the bike. Like, I dropped some bottles and then I just got caught up in the race and didn't get that nutrition on board that I needed to in the first half of the bike. Um, so, yeah, I guess if stuff, something goes wrong, don't panic is, like, will be my main piece of advice to anyone racing, whether you're a professional or an age grouper. So it was a good swim bike for you last year and you got off in, like, 14th, right? Yeah, I actually had a five-minute penalty on the bike too, which um, yeah. was not ideal like I don't really know what it was for still but I think that was the case with a lot of girls out there um it was basically for talking to Sarah Crawley as she went back past me to because apparently I didn't drop back quick enough because we were like just talking to each other being like oh let's work together and then the guy just served me so um yeah I was riding really well up until then but uh, I feel like potentially the wheels might have always going to be fallen off even without that penalty because of the, like not taking on enough nutrition on the bike um, sort of thing. So, yeah, and, like, I had a good swim. I, I think that's boosted my swim confidence. I'm much better at swimming in a bigger field, you know. So, like, here, especially on uh, Saturday, there's going to be, you know, 55 girls. So I'm pretty confident that I'll be able to swim with the main group, So, which obviously then sets you up for a bit of a better race. I think okay. it, just on that official thing, it's a bit of a side topic, but I, I, it really is time that I, in Kona too, I would have thought maybe the officials are getting paid, but if we're not going to move towards an objective, um, you know, system yeah. that enforces drafting, which I think is very easy to do, like I've talked about before with the, the timing mat system and all sorts of different ways you could do it, uh, we've really got to start um, – I wouldn't even care as a pro if if the big if we had to pay slightly more to pay the officials to mm. to have you know paid officials that have expertise in the sport years of racing and not to say that most of them I'm sure are well intentioned I know the rules can also be a bit uh, you, you know sometimes I think the official has to actually look at what's going on you know how, how often do you see where and a rider who's been sitting on the front of six other six six other riders and <laughs> yeah. then drops drops to second or third wheel and then gets a penalty for not dropping back fast enough. And you're like, come on, man, they've just, they've just done 80 K on the front, you know? So yeah. I think um, it's a real bummer when those sort of things happen. I, I like that you probably own that it was not going to go that way anyway, but not go fantastic for you with the nutrition loss, but how are you going to change that this year? You got your bottles all rubber banded <laughs> on or what's the plan? Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, yeah, got tied as bottle cages now I've got a whole new bike set up for this year so um which has like an incorporated hydration system so it's going to be much easier and also just don't be a dumbass and actually slow down at the aid station to grab a bottle <laughs> instead of making the mistake of just being like trying to ride through them and going too fast and missing bottles and stuff you know like just got to be smart about it especially in the first you know four or five hours of the race so talk us through uh, uh, your whole bike setup. Most of the listeners, we have a very male dominant listener base, and most guys <laughs> really love really love bikes. So yeah. you're on a Trek Speed concept, great bike. Yeah, 
Yeah, great bike. I just started, I've been waiting for it to come in and we weren't sure if it was going to get here in time before Kona, but Trek managed to get it over here in time. Um, so that's good. And then I've got uh, a guy in Brisbane called Brody Gardner. He's just started doing um, custom front ends. So he's called Intune Aero. Um, I actually used to race Xterra with him back in the day. Anyway, so he's done a custom front end for me. So um it's got like the space filled up in between and it's a full like platform one with the integrated hydration system. Um, and the problem with my old setup was I wasn't stacked high enough. Like I, so I still had like a little bit of an arch in my, uh, sorry, around in my back. So I wasn't completely flat across the top. Um, and this one with this system and the way the Trek works with like the stack height and stuff, I'm five centimetres higher than I was before, which has made a massive difference just to like my head position, my, uh, my back super flat. I can see straight ahead of me. Um, so yeah, like I've been riding it for probably three weeks and it, it's super fast. Yeah. Unreal. Yes. Yeah. It's funny how, how many people get more aero by getting higher, not lower. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it can go both ways with, with people that you're setting up but it is interesting and sort of counterintuitive like many things to do with aerodynamics um when you had your exterior background do you find in races that you notice that you have a skills advantage over the other ladies that you're racing on the bike um yeah i'd say so like i mean i guess there's not that many technical uh ironman bike courses or halves but yeah i mean I, like i'm not afraid to corner fast and stuff like that and just um so that i am mean, quite looking forward to doing nice next year because i'm hoping that the descent will suit me really well but um yeah technically speaking yeah i, I would say comparatively just from girls i've ridden with and stuff i seem to have i don't know if it's more skill but definitely more confidence in my abilities to handle the bike and like if i hit a speed bump or something like on 50 k's an hour i can generally write it <laughs> as long as your um, bottle's staying right <laughs> yeah exactly or i don't hit a kangaroo which i have done so i <laughs> see <laughs> so this is the first year where it's just females only and so no, is it is it i assume it's way less busy um is it still got the same buzz as it did last year Penny, you That's go first. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, obviously there's a few less people, but I was actually surprised. Like I did the um, training swim on Sunday morning and there was like well over a thousand people doing the swim, which I was surprised about. And like it seems like a lot of people have potentially got to the island earlier than last year, I feel like maybe. Um, and I... There's also like a lot of people here with their partners. So I was like, oh, there's literally going to be no men here, but there's still lots of men here. So obviously a lot of people here with their partners. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's not like there's no one out on the highway when you're riding. You know, there's people everywhere still. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just as hard to get a lane at the Kona Aquatic Centre. So <laughs> I went down and swam with some of the ladies this morning and, you do feel a bit like I got down there. I'm like, I should not be here. Like, I feel like I have to explain it myself to everyone. It's like, this is a lady's time. I shouldn't be here. I should just be hiding away doing my job. But um, yeah, it's, I think more so like there's a lot of people in town for sure. And mm -hmm. I did, I did think about when you were going to ask this and I was going to say, oh, there's, there's way less men here just being stupid, but it's, <laughs> it's actually surprising how many men there are here. Um, I think the brands are certainly 
like normally by this time they're, they're already going crazy with the advertising and setting up and, and they're not around yet. But, I mean, you can't really blame them if they've had to spend money going to two races this year, be it Nice and here. So it's a bit quieter on that front. But, yeah, town's still crazy busy. There's still cafes are full. Still bumping into people out in the water every <laughs> twenty meters, and yeah, the highway's full, so it's really good. It's got a good. What vibe. about what about the the locals? Do you get the sense that they're a bigger fan of the race this year than last year? Like it was definitely a li- noticeable that it was sort of pushing it a little bit too far with how much of an inconvenience with two days and all of, all of that sort of thing. You noticing anything? Have you spoken to anyone? Short um, oh, you go, Penny. Oh, yeah. I mean, I definitely haven't, like last year, we definitely, I definitely had a few people while I was on the bike who were not happy. Like they were just sick of people being on the road and haven't had any of that this year. And um, like I'm saying with the local guy and he's, yeah, like everyone seems fine with it, I feel like. Um, But yeah. Yeah, I haven't ridden out the Queen K yet, but around town, everyone seems to be a little bit happier than last year. I think the biggest issue from last year was the fact that Thursday, people still have to work, right? Like they still have to go about their life where on a Saturday here, they can kind of just not go out for the day or stay off the Queen K or not go to town. But when they shut the town down for two days, it's a bit of a, that's when people get really wound up about it. So yeah, like from what I've seen in the cafes and down the, like down the street there, it seems pretty good, which is positive. So hopefully they're back on board. What's your plan of attack on race day, Penny? Were you, um, do you just keep st- are you going to sort of race according to what's around you with the trying to stay with certain people or is it just sit on numbers and let the day play out according to your physiology not racing other people around you um that's a good question i think uh it's going to be a bit of both really um i think i'm much better if i just ride how i want to ride basically because i found i have a very steady riding style and i find that when i ride with other people quite often it's quite a bit surgy which we know um so yeah it'll be a bit of both depends if i if i'm in a good group yeah and who are willing to work with me for sure i'll be happy to ride with them um but as that's been the case in quite a few races i've been in I just end up dragging a group around, which I'm not into at all. So, um, you know, this year, if I'm – and I did the same thing last year, actually. If I was cat- caught up to a group quite quickly, I would just try and hold, like, you know, 260 watts or 270 watts and just drop them straight away. Um, but it will really depend on who I'm around when I get out of the water. I was a bit slow in transition last year, so if I have a better transition, hopefully it'll mean that I'm with the with the higher quality riders, I guess. Um, Do you when you say you like to ride your own pace? Is that because you ride a lower cadence, and so the pace changes of the group are a little bit more tricky? What's your average cadence in an Ironman? Um, I actually ride quite a high cadence comparatively, I would say, to a lot of the girls. So I'm usually around 90, um, so that that is pretty high. Um, yeah, and I will, like, basically very evenly ride, like, my wattage, so, like, 200, two, uh, 215 um, really is usually what I sit at at the start and the end, as close as possible as I can be. Um but yeah, I've been practicing a bit more like in training, practicing actually surges and then settling back into sort of what I want my race wattage to be because I'm expecting that that's going to happen and that 
I may have to go with moves to set up a good race. Did you have last year, Penny, um, any of the age group guys, like did they ride up to you or affect your race in any way? No, no, that's, it was, yeah, it was really good. I think they started quite far back behind us, but yeah, um, no, we had zero interference from any age groupers. Um, I think that that's, that's probably the thing that'll change a bit this year. The really slow swimmers won't get the opportunity to get dragged up by other athletes. And so one of the, I think one of the major, and I think it might be one of the questions we we're going to talk about in terms of how having only females out on course it's just going to be totally fair for you guys and mm. hopefully hopefully you'll be like spaced out enough that you can actually it's just as fair as possible and doesn't matter if you swim an hour 20 or 50 minutes you've got to do your own work and ride your own steam and not get dragged by or not get your race affected positively or negatively by others yeah exactly i mean i know there's been like obviously a lot of contention with like whether that people think we should have a male and female only race if it should be at several locations same locations um and from my perspective as like a professional athlete trying to make money out of the sport i think that we should have a separate race like the professional women definitely should have a separate race to the um to the men just because you know it, in every race i've ever been in with age group men and like professional men who are potentially maybe a bit slower like they've interfered with our race so um at the end of the day it's world champs it's funny because i mean i think the um push has been there's been a big pushback against the separate days but when you do when you are looking at a fair race as the number one priority i think this is one thing where you got to got to give ironman credit for um potentially establishing that sort of race that could happen so it's a yeah. I hadn't really considered that as one of the real perks of of having separate days. It's it's going to yeah. be similar too for the um for the female like age group ladies like when when they're out there like a lot of the time they get either caught up by guys who don't want to get passed by a female if they're a strong yeah. athlete. It really affects their days. So like I feel like this year, just being out there on their own, they're going to have a lot more space. They've got the waves like separated uh, separated really well. So it's it seems to me like I really hope that we come out the other side of it and everyone says it was super fair. Um, and a lot of the feedback from people that I've spoken to is like they're more interested in the age, uh, in the pro race, in the females than they were in the, in the men's, which is awesome. Mm. Yeah, I mean, and he's just hoping that the officiating is fair as well so we can definitely have a fair race. For sure. So, first question is, are there any similar races in Australia that mirror the conditions of Kona? Mm, no, not really. I mean, Cairns would come the closest, but it's nowhere near as hot. You think? I think the, the closest thing about Cairns is obviously the, the warm water, and then that, a lot of the time that last bit of the ride can get pretty lonely and, and just gets yeah. progressively harder. But besides that course, I don't think there's anything in Hawaii that can can mirror uh, in australia that can mirror hawaii ready no i agree um there are um there were races like 70.3s like yapoon and there were events that mm. um had the same conditions but um no ironman events i think cans at a different time of year when we did it in september 
was harder than Kona personally. <laughs> so yeah, right. it, has, it has happened, but yeah, not not regularly in June or July, whenever Cairns normally is. So. Is is there a seventy point three in Hawaii at some point in the year that they yeah, do? It's in June, and it's probably it's violently hot. It's worse. So hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it, it is so so hard. They run. You run I think it's the hardest race I've ever done. Yeah, I'd, I'd I would agree. There. It's yeah. the hardest race I've ever done. You basically yeah. do the hardest section of the of the Ironman course with a harder run at a much hotter time. Like it just seems to be way hotter. Um, and I don't think you give it the same respect as the Ironman. So I turned up, you know, eight kilos heavier thinking I'd be fine and you just get punished. It's such a well, shame I, it's not a pro race because it is a it is a really tough, fair race. I didn't turn up eight kilos heavier and still just died a slow, horrible death. I could never, like, I've been over several times and you can never work it out. One of the locals said that they, you run around the golf course and they wet the grass heaps during the days before so you don't kill the course. And it, it just makes it so humid when the heat gets oh, up. Ah, that's what it is, yeah. Because I was wondering, yeah. why is it so much hotter? Yeah. Yeah. That so makes they, sense. Yeah, it's just the humidity. But, yeah, it's um, it's a good one to put on your list. And, yeah, they should put it back to a pro race. Because they used to a while, like, years ago. And pros had come, like, for their training camp and then do the race. So, mm. fine, man, we know you listen. Just sit up. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, next question. How long before do you think it's necessary to acclimatise or can you sufficiently do heat prep here in Australia for Kona? Mm. Oh. <laughs> I think if you're an age group athlete, like you've got to, you know, you're probably working full time that you can do enough like home heat prep to get you so that if you come a week out from the race that you'll be okay. Um, I think if you're a professional and you have the means to be able to, that you sort of want at least two weeks in the heat before race day. Yeah, full adaption sort of happens between, well, up to about three weeks and, and then you don't see any further benefits. But um, the I, I think athletes can do it uh, at home if you've got, if you're willing to put the work in. The hard part, I once did Hawaii and came in really late, fully heat adapted. But I had forgot about the whole getting a tan thing. And um, just I got so sunburnt from not being in the sun. Like I did my prep in Boulder and then came over, you know, it was freezing and then came over. And the heat wasn't so much the issue, but getting out in the sun and um, having the skin exposed really hurt me. So I do think I think people can do it. You typically, you know, you start with sort of a, a heat session every second or third day to start with. And then once you've done the bulk of the adaptions you can then sort of move into almost like a maintenance phase and you don't have to stress the body the same way but those first few sessions are really quite taxing so it has to be carefully mm. implemented even if it's easy power or easy pace it's stressful and you see people's hrv get affected you see there so it's yeah it has to be done pretty carefully and and penciled in around your other key sessions i don't think oh. you should be doing your heat stress combined with your intensity for example mm, unless you're yeah, unless yeah. you're in the location but um yeah it's it can be done for sure and so a lot of like a lot of the adaptions come pretty early on too ready right and then as you get further into it you kind of don't see as much of a of a gain in your your tolerance 
No, and, and then you're sort of going more into maintenance, um, yeah. which is much easier to do. But it's interesting. I, I once did a training camp in uh, Hawaii before uh, Asia Pac Champs in the Philippines. And one thing that freaks people out a little bit they should be aware of is you can be training your ass off. And if you're doing the heat adaption right, you'll actually get heavier throughout the week as you, as you or even over two weeks, as your body sort of adds blood volume. Um, obviously, that's the biggest defense mechanism against the severe de dehydration that we're trying to prevent is your body just boosts blood plasma volume. So um, I was sort of freaking out like I got to the got to the training camp, but, you know, especially because I was a bit too weight obsessed at times. But, you know, I left like three kilos heavier towards the end of the end of the block and then had one of my best ever races in the heat in the Philippines, you know, so um, just be aware of that. that. Um, stop weighing yourself when you do heat stress training and you it's it's not a it's you want to be putting on a little bit of weight so what would the longest um well, so how, how far out would you would you want to get there then what would be the perfect number like let's say steve won the the lottery tomorrow and had all the money in the world to just go over to kona and, and hang out like three weeks four weeks but when does it become negative well the downside can be to th that it's too much of a stress so I like people to do a bit, fair bit of it at home before you get there because you can get out of the heat and actually recover. Depending on where you stay in Kona, and I've had some shockers, like 2016, air conditioning didn't work, did not sleep the nights leading into the race because I was just sweating the whole time and, like, was absolutely wrecked on race day. Um, you see it all the time when people go to Kona for four or five weeks and it's just too much. They They basically can't do the recover as well as they should be or that's just too much heat stress so i i'm sort of with penny i think two weeks is sort of the ultimate um with a week of introducing yourself at home with a bit more of a controlled um heat stress with days off it what do you think clint you guys said it i don't need to say anything you guys said it perfectly i think that um penny you're like the the way that you've done it's really really good you can kind of you don't have that filthy cost of being here for an extended period but if you can yeah. be in conditions that kind of mimic it but you can also get away from it with air conditioning and and then um come over as you have and then yeah i noticed you've been have you been doing a fair bit of your riding in the middle of the day is that to try and just get more of a sweet tan on or are you just trying to <laughs> enjoy it yeah i mean like leading in I, this comes back to Reedy talking about like heat stress. Um, the week leading into before I left for Kona, I tried to ride a bit more in the middle of the day and run in the middle. Of, I was running more in the middle of the day, like because that was it was sort of twenty nine thirty degrees in Cairns then, and so I did like yeah a couple of sessions in the middle of the day to try and really get that heat. Um, but then yeah, so. I mean, that was kind of good. And, like, Cairns wasn't insanely hot. Like, it was hot enough that you felt like it was a bit hard. But then, um, but, yeah, it wasn't, like, making you feel absolutely blasted after a session, you know. Like, doing a five-hour ride here in these conditions, like, you can't do anything the rest of the day afterwards because you're just fucked. Yeah. <laughs> and, you've, yeah, I guess that, that's where you've, if you're not, like, hyper aware of your hydration and, like, maybe... Well, I know Reedy said not to weigh in Priam like during that period, but if oh, you I'm sorry, no, you can weigh in, just don't stress. <laughs> you want to put on weight, not yeah. Use, use the scales <laughs> to make sure that you're rehydrating because it's just um, you just lose so much. And as you say, if you go out and do a long ride, you spend most of the day trying to recover from that, 
and make sure, making sure that you're rehydrated so you actually sleep decently well at night. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I don't know, like other people, but I know in the heat I struggle with appetite as well. Like it's quite hard to eat more and I know that affects a lot of athletes that I've trained with and stuff. So there's things you've got to factor in and have like strategies around like what you're going to do for refueling after sessions because the last thing you want is like a hot meal or something, you know. You finish you finish training and just don't feel like eating. Is that right? And then when you're in yeah. the day or in cooler conditions, you really like you'll obviously be fine. Yeah, but- I'm fine to eat. Yeah, but I like really struggle to um, to like eat want to eat solid food and stuff. So um, you know, for me, then it's just like any means necessary to get the calories in. I think really. So um, just go and so- pay forty dollars Australian for an acai bowl to get your calories in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How bad is it when you get home? And- you get home yeah. and you check your credit card after being in the States oh, at the no. moment. <laughs> Just don't even look, hey. <laughs> <laughs> but the the liquid, that makes sense. I guess I'd never thought about, um, I'd never had a problem ever eating. Um, but it makes <laughs> sense when you when all your blood's diverted to your extremities to sort of cool off and um, I guess you, your digestion's sort of not as good as it could be and maybe your body just tells you, hey, let's just drink and don't worry about food. <laughs> so, mm. yeah, bring a blender. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Next question. Racing at Kona has always been a dream of mine, but what is the rough cost of making that dream come true? What is the total expenses, including race entry, flights, accommodation, and other expenses compared to an Australian race? So there's a bit Ooh. there, but just a general outline, I suppose, of. I'll, I'll have a crack. Um, yeah. Race entry these days, I think, is about 2000 for age group age group athletes um flights for me would have been about the same this time maybe a bit more 2000 accommodation would be even if you did it bare minimum you'd be at least two to three grand i'd say Uh, yeah yeah and then spending as we were just saying in regards to checking your credit card when you get home is very depressing while you're here um Mm. It's just super expensive. I think it's borderline now unattainable for just the average Joe, which is pretty disappointing. Yeah, it's so like 10 grand about, easy, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say 10 minimum, 20 if you do it sort of nice um, and set aside even more if you got a family of four or five and want to spend yeah, two exactly. weeks here. Yeah. And, then, and then if you factor into that, like some people will take time off work to try and train decently well for it. Like if they're just like, I know when I was running my own business and obsessed with it, you kind of, if you actually factored in the hours that you took away from your work to train, you'd be devastated. (laughs) Well, I added up my last Hawaii campaign, which, and it was about 22,000. And then people ask me why I was pissed off with 12th place. And you're like, because I've just spent 22000 yeah. on this. Yeah, and missed other races. Like, that wasn't including what you would make if you'd chased other events. Um, yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, it's brutal. But, but to finish on a positive, because we were just so <laughs> negative for a few minutes there, <laughs> no, no, no. I, I will say I've talked to a few people in the last couple of days on the way over here and they like, the money thing is like, I spoke to a lady earlier today and she said to me that she's doing this race because she wants to be sitting in a nursing home 
when she's got nothing left but memories. And this is a kind of thing that she never had the chance to do previously when the guys were here. So she's like, I'm just here to make memories. And I think that's really awesome that she can come and, um, and do that. That's a really good point. I was even thinking back after, as soon as I said that, I was like, would I change anything now yeah. for that 2019? I'm like, well, no, not really. I'd still, I'd do it all again, yeah. you know. So I think, um, I, yeah, I mean, it's one of those, for most people, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Um, you tick the box and then, yeah, it's done and you can have that memory forever or what remains of it. It's often a bit hazy, the actual race, but. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wonder, I wonder anyone that went to Nice from Australia, how much they spent? Because it wouldn't have been cheap either, really. Like, if you go anywhere, Europe or America from Australia, it's going to cost you a bomb to get there, accommodation, food. So maybe it's not even that much more if you were going to go somewhere else, in the, you know, on the other side of the it's world. A, so It's a good point, Danny. Probably any international race that you do, you, you're yeah. going to be paying a lot. I think what's really hard in Kona now is just how expensive the accommodation is. Um, and it wasn't, didn't used to be like that, but everyone sort of cottoned on. I think that a lot of the places are actually quite empty for big, um, big amounts of time throughout the year. So they're just, they're dialed in on really making sure they get their, get everyone's cash while they can through October. So, you know, but yeah, like you said, racing's not cheap. Going overseas isn't cheap. It's all going to cost a lot. At least you come away with, with a legendary status hovering over your head. <laughs> <laughs> Last fan question in regards to Kona. In Kona, is Clint going full SA? Oh, am I dressing up? No. Firm <laughs> is no. he going to shave your head again? <laughs> no. So, and and I, I would do that, no worries. But the problem is I'm still paying for shaving my head because it's way more thin than I thought it was. So <laughs> I, 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 I won't be shaving my head for a while, Danny. So to whoever wrote that it was probably emma my wife's probably sent in and just to make sure that i'm not shaving my head again <laughs> so, firm no mate firm no Reedy, you said you had a theory about athletes starting and doing too much at a younger age and it potentially impacting their recovery later on can you explain this a bit further um yeah so i don't have any like real hard data on it but it seems to me when you when you look at most elite performers um in endurance sports or certainly triathlon there's there seems to be almost like a um their training age and most tend to peak be sort of been 10 years into their training age or 10 to 15 years in um and yeah if someone starts at at five years of age or six then often you know um they might you might see them peak quite early they're, they're just super talented young super have a super ability young and then often I, I don't know whether it's a psychological thing too like perhaps it's just a, a a burnout of doing it for so long but people tend to wrap it up after sort of that somewhere around that 10 to 15 year mark probably closer to 15 for triathletes um so i i, I think that the bigger issue is yeah i, I think in general kids who are pretty serious at endurance sports, I, I feel like they should be held back a little bit um, to get them to their peak physical years as well. Uh, I think the high-performance programs are pushing kids in general across all sports. I think they're pushing them way too hard. And you see this crazy burnout. You see this lack of perspective and identity 
um, of, of why they're doing the sport and what it's about and, um, you know, all sorts of mental health issues later. I, I do wonder whether there's a physical, like whether there's some sort of just overtraining syndrome that's sort of lying beneath the surface too. I, a few, few that I've coached who went through the high performance programs are just so much more delicate than the ones that didn't. And I don't, that's just, it's not many athletes as a sample, but um, it does spark my interest. I'd love to maybe one day go and look at that further and interview more people and see what the go is. But it's uh, certainly something that I think, yeah, this is in triathlon when you see how late peaking can be, I think. Sorry. Oh, I <laughs> so Penny on Penny on that, you came from I think you followed a similar vein to like Reedy and I quite like when you were through your teens just kind of played all different sports, is that right? And came to triathlon and um a little bit later, is that right? Yeah, yeah. I mean I was like more of a team sport girl. I played like a lot of field hockey and stuff like through my teen years and yeah, I, I always did a bit of like normal school cross country and stuff, but um yeah, I didn't start until after I finished high school. Um I didn't start triathlon, so yeah. And like what you said, Reedy, like just from what I've looked at like in my degree and my postgraduate research, like from a biological perspective for kids who are going through puberty, there's, you know, if they're pushed too hard at a young age, it can have detrimental effects to their bone health and um, also like their endocrine system and stuff if it's not righted soon enough, you know. Um, so, yeah, which is why like those who have been in a high-performance um environment that potentially has pushed them too hard like later on you see them getting continuous bone stress injuries or always having some form of underlying thing or they get sick really easy um you know there's all those it basically affects all body systems if you're over overtraining or under fueling while you're overtraining without realizing for a long period of time you know specifically through puberty year like through the teen years yeah, I mean, like that's when we're laying all our bone foundations um, and getting all the all the body systems working, right? So, um, if we don't have, if we're training too much, then that bone turnover isn't as high as what we need it to be, and you can't repair because your body's putting all its energy into repairing your muscles and stuff because you're under so much load. Um, so then it's like, oh, okay, I'm not going to grow your bones right now because I need to give all my energy to these. Uh, basic bodily functions that you need it's interesting one you see it across uh, quite a few different sports especially among gymnasts but even a triathlete who i coached from a um, high performance program he had a break between itu and then coming across to long course and he was quite old like well past where he should have been going through puberty he literally grew like an inch in his mm. year and a half off very late very late on um and I found that fascinating. If you're training so hard that you can't even grow, like what you just mm. talked about, it's pretty messed up. Yeah, it is. Like it's crazy. Like all you, you see some people take a break, like a year break, and they might put on a bit of weight and stuff and people will be like, oh, they've like lost it. But then they come back and they're better because they've got everything back to where it should be, you know. So, yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for like you said, Reedy, holding back younger athletes and not, you know, they don't need to be tw training 25 hours a week. Like it's just not really the go, I don't think. So with your PhD studies, Penny, are you going down that avenue or specifically with females? Is that right? 
Yeah, I'm more specifically looking to, into female athletes, um, endurance athletes. But, I mean, there's a lot of um, new stuff out on male athletes because I feel like a lot of the time that they were very siloed, um, the research on male and female athletes, and now they're sort of looking at um, trying to diagnose them under this, like, red S banner that we talk about for males and females um and you know there's a lot of underlying conditions that go with that um and a lot of the studies have been on pre-elites and um elite athletes so that's a lot of the stuff that I've been looking into currently last yeah last fan question as coaches and this is a question obviously for everybody what are two or three characteristics you'd love to see in an athlete I would say honesty, uh, consistency, and non-egotistical. Do I need to go any further with it? Uh, Honesty, because I just don't think, because I I think that it's a, um, you need to be honest with your coach, you need to be honest with yourself um consistency because consistency is king and i think ego can get in the way of long-term progression um a lot so i am really fine with people being internally egotistical or internal i always like to say the internal arrogant but um yeah those three i'll say like extremely um dedicated determined and details orientated. I actually don't mind athletes with a little bit of ego. I think it's quite important. I know it's. I know what Clint's trying to say. Um, I know exactly what you're trying to say. But there is like a little healthy balance there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's and honesty is super important as well. Just you just don't want to coach someone who's lying to themselves, other people, or you know they they don't they don't last. And well, it's and this is a sport where you've just got to do the do the hard yards and and not kid yourself. Most of my most worst races came when I was kidding myself in my training. <laughs> you know, like you think you think you can get away with less than other people, or you you're telling yourself that you're working harder than you are, and you've just got to test yourself regularly, be honest with where you're at, accept your flaws, and then you actually have a chance to get better. Yeah. Penny. Uh, I would say for me, uh, like having a good work ethic, so hard worker is probably key. Um, comes back communication so like that kind of comes back to the honesty thing being willing to communicate with the coach and then also like ability to take on feedback and um change the plan as needed um i think is an important one because uh, i think a lot of the time you get athletes who are like sometimes think they know better (laughs) and you're like well this is this is what the science says and this is what's been working for many moons so if you just stick with it and work hard and be consistent with what I'm telling you you're going to get better you're not going to get mightn't get better in six weeks but if you do it for a year you're going to get better so um, that's a good one humility humility to take advice is so important yeah Yeah. nice Danny, you look exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> there's a Where's reason Steve? for that, and there's a reason Steve's not here. Yes, yeah, yeah. Sis, sister's wedding on the week. Yeah. Sister's wedding on the weekend stitched us up. Especially him, though. 
I haven't seen him like that in a long time. So <laughs> Melbourne prep's going well, Reedy. Yeah. Just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was just going to say we'll happily have you back on to talk about anything because it'll be a lot more intelligent than what what we come up with in the background. <laughs> St- Steve's only input to this episode oh. was maybe we should ask ourselves: Would you rather be a tree for eternity or a butterfly for two weeks? So. Oh my god. That's a good question. <laughs> Annie, which one? Oh my god! I'm I'm a butterfly. Uh, do sure. I die after I become a like after the two weeks of being a butterfly? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll be go butterfly. Yeah. Fun and yeah, quick I... death. Yeah. Fun life, yeah. quick death. Those That's butterflies, it. they're just having so much fun. Yeah, exactly. Uh, thanks for coming on. We, we I, it was good to get to know you a bit better, and I'm really hoping you have an awesome Saturday. Um and yeah get right up there in that race and then maybe come back and let us know how it all played out. Um, We will be back to report on the race and chat to someone who (laughs) – I don't know what I'm talking about. (laughs) (laughs) What are we doing next? (laughs) To someone who knows what they're talking about. Post-race, Penny, we'll get you back on and talk about how well it went. And Ideally, we can get a few of the ladies who have done the race and we can get a bit of a recap at the same time. But um, Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. I'll be out on course abusing you and telling you you're <laughs> amazing when you maybe don't. But um, <laughs> enjoy Saturday and, yeah, over and out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Guys. cheers, guys. Cheers. See you, Penny. <laughs> Bye.